0: There are some days when the light comes in, and it's just this beautiful, warm sunlight on those beautiful, old, old wooden floors, and I can just kind of feel it coming on.
1: This is Choose to be Curious, a show all about curiosity. We talk about research and theory, but mostly it's conversations about how curiosity shows up in work and life. I'm your host, Lynn Borton. Welcome. Come. Come. Just to be curious with us. The other night, I was having a hard time sleeping, so I did something I don't often do in the middle of the night. I put in my earbuds and listened to an audiobook. I chose Miracle and Wonder: Conversations with Paul Simon by Malcolm Gladwell and Bruce Headlam. It's a lovely combination of conversation and music that revisits Simon's remarkable creative arc probing lovingly into the depths of the musician's life and work. I tell you this not just because I recommend the listen, but because two bits of wisdom from Paul Simon came to mind as I thought about today's conversation. First, I've got his delightful song, the 59th Street Bridge song, better known to the rest of us maybe as feeling groovy in my head, which I would insert here if I had the rights, but I don't, so I won't. You likely know the lines. Slow down. You move too fast, You got to make the morning last. And second, in his Miracle and Wonder interview, Malcolm Gladwell asks Paul Simon about fallow periods, those times in an artist's life when they're not creating. Simon responds, there's, there's no such thing. Just because you don't see anything happening doesn't mean the seed isn't doing its work. It's working away in preparation for what comes next. A necessary quiet time in the growth process. This had a delightful resonance with something Justine Icky's self described creative coach, mindful optimizer, and wanderer has written in several of her blogs. Justine is an instructional designer, facilitator, trainer, and ICF certified coach. She has a special place in my heart because she's been the source of inspiration for more than a few of these episodes. I don't actually know how she found me, but I'm sure glad she did and that she's so generous with her ideas. Justine loves gardening, and she appreciates the metaphors waiting for us there. Seasons of growth and rest, the importance of pruning and managing energy to sustain growth, the pure joy of a polite sized dahlia. A busy professional, she nonetheless makes time for her own art and offers gentle, encouraging reminders that the rest of us might do the same, making time to tend our proverbial gardens, to savor the seasonal changes, to slow down and make the morning last. So I thought it would be nice to start the year not in overdrive but in a conversation about taking our curiosity up for a leisurely ride. And I figured Justine Ickes was just the person to do it. So welcome, Justine. Hey, thank you so much. Uh, great things that you said in the intro.
0: Um, I'm really happy to be here with you today, Lynn.
1: I'm really excited about this. and And for the audience, Justine and I have known one another and known one another's work for a long time. But this is the first time we've had a one-on-one conversation. So I just want to mark the occasion because it feels kind of special to me.
0: Yeah, it is special. We're actually hearing each other's voices as opposed to emailing or (laughs) liking it. Where we hear one another's
1: voices, but you know, it's, it's different. Yeah. Tell me about your art studio.
0: Oh my gosh. My art studio is, is my happy place. It's my home away from home. It's in a beautiful building. I live in Connecticut, New England, and it's in a beautiful old mill building. There's a lot of mill buildings up here and it's over 120 years old. It's called Whiting Mills. It's got these beautiful wood floors and huge windows, and you can still sort of see the footprints where people would stand at at the machines. They used to make um, it was a cloth mill, and I think they actually made uniforms, undergarments for the Union soldiers during during the war.
1: Wow! 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 wow.
0: We have something like forty resident artists there of all different uh, media, so it's a great place.
1: That's very cool. So what? What prompted you to start to open the studio? Well, I had practiced
0: and taken art classes many, many years ago when I lived in Spain. I lived in Madrid for eight years back in in the mid-80s. And I took classes there. And I've always had sort of this art background. My mom is very creative. She's anything to do with fiber arts. That's my mom. So there was always art. You know, my dad was sort of a frustrated wannabe architect who, who became an English teacher. So it was always around. And then life went on and I sort of fell out of my art practice. And then like so many people during the pandemic, you know, it gave us time to think, okay, what, what is really important to me? And I had been on the wait list for a studio at the mill and the good outcome for me was that there there was a space that opened up in the studio so I was able to move in into the mill and I'm very happy that I made That's that That's
1: very cool. That's very cool. Do you have routines or happy rituals that help you sort of move kind of creatively into the space because you just walk through the door you don't instantly turn on your creative vibe, right? Like are there things that you do that kind of get you, you know, in that it's zone?
0: Yeah, I mean it doesn't instantly turn on, but I will say that I feel an energy shift even when I walk in the door of the building. I think your brain over time, and you know, as you mentioned earlier, I do do coaching and I do a lot of uh, leadership training for various you know entities and anything that you learn about the neuroscience of of how we work, you can you know create these tracks in your brain that it will associate with certain moods, certain feelings. So I personally feel it when I go down the hallway. So I have to go down this long hallway to get to my studio. And there are some days when the light comes in and it's just this beautiful, warm sunlight, on, as I said, on those beautiful old, old wooden floors. And I can sort kind of feel it coming on. But having said that, there are things that I do in the studio to just kind of like settle I usually start with something small, like I don't try to like, if I'm working on a big piece or a piece that's not necessarily big in size, but big in terms of complexity, either in terms of the materials or the techniques or what I'm trying to express, I don't typically start there because I need time to sort of settle, settle in.
1: Do you have anything that you would describe as a curiosity practice that's part of that settling in or getting going?
0: Well, I learned something. I, I've, I've been studying with this uh, wonderful woman who you may want to join on your- <laughs> Oh, boy. It was <laughs> Esty McLeod. And so she lives in England, and I've been do- taking a lot of classes with her online. And she often has us do work that has to do with your own handwriting. Because each person's handwriting is, is individual, right?
1: Yeah. And it's
0: so it's a way to get your brain out of, I have to make something now, or I have to draw a flower. And I know, I believe that you also have a drawing practice, Lynn, that I've seen you share uh, uh, about in the in the social media world. So you kind of just play around with that. So there's that. And then sometimes I'll do, you know, just playing around with hues and tints. You know, you start with one color and you add white to it. And, and you know, see the different gradations that you can get. So just kind of very contemplative, slow um, kind of things like that. Music, of course.
1: Yeah. So it's the slow that I wanted to talk with you uh-huh. about. Because that was the, it was a post actually from a year ago that you wrote about sort of coming out of the holiday season in a kind of slower mode and, and sort of continuing to savor. And, and I want to, I want to talk about that in the context of curiosity, because I think curiosity is a way of slowing down and savoring. We often think of it in a kind of frenetic drive, yeah. you know, push, push, push kind of a zone.
0: Yeah.
1: But let's talk about it the other way. I mean, how does it how does it manifest in that idea that you had of kind of coming into the new year in a slower, more leisurely way?
0: Yeah. You touched on it earlier, Lynn, when you were talking about how much I love gardening. Mm-hmm. And to be fair, I like flower gardening. It's really hard to do vegetable garden. You can do it in New England, but we have a very short season. So for me it's all about like the beauty and trying to extend the beauty. And one of the things that I wrote about recently is this idea of, you know, dahlias you have to prune the baby buds if you want to get a big flower. Because otherwise the smaller ones take away the energy. Right? So I sort of approach definitely the the new year that way. Like I have a newsletter that I write, I have classes that I teach, but I pretty much shut down because I'm fortunate, I'm privileged, I can do that from, you know, around the holiday time until pretty much the middle of January, even sometimes the end of January. I don't, I try not to write too much. I, people tease me because I purge like crazy. I'm the person who's unsubscribing from newsletters, (laughs) you know, getting them, getting out, uh, getting those out of the way. And I, you know, your point about like we're kind of like thinking, oh, curious, you got to be rushing around and getting information. Especially living where I live, there's not a lot of stimulation in the winter. If you're a person like me who's an artist who's into color, there just isn't. It's New England, right? So kind of just slowing down, and I do walks every day. I have a dog who fortunately gets me out the house, and you know, just like looking at the tree bark, like I'm looking at my window right now, I'm looking at a birch tree. Like once the leaves are down, you can really pay attention because you don't have these quote, you know, distractions. So it's just a lot of observing, you know, paying attention to what's around you. You really notice it here where I live and I'm jumping ahead like springtime here. I don't think I've ever paid attention to how leaves unfurl than when I moved here. I used to live in DC and I know DC is like azaleas and everything's coming out at the same time, but here it's so slow and incremental that you can really notice those, those changes over time.
1: Yeah. I think this focus on noticing, which is like, you can't notice unless you slow down. Hmm. If you're going too fast, it's all a blur, right? You know, you're not paying attention to what's there. But I also love what you talked about in terms of the disbudding and the, you know, the sort of pruning to focus mm-hmm. the energy. It reminds me, I had a conversation some time ago with Lydie Klotz, who's a professor of engineering at the University of Virginia. He wrote a book called Subtract. And it's a reminder that sometimes the best thing to do is to take something away not to add on. Our instinct is to add yeah. more, make it better by adding more. And he's like, maybe, but maybe also the best thing to do is to disbud, yeah. is to prune, is to cut back. And that in a time when everybody's making resolutions and kind of adding on, that the idea, well, maybe, maybe just clip a bud or two. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and allow yourself to focus your energy on something to bloom, like a plate-sized dahlia, is a pretty cool way to think about it because then it doesn't feel like loss, right?
0: Yeah, and you see it a lot. You know, you were saying about the pruning. There is a philosophy with some of the artists that I follow and, and you know, some of the... Researches around this, around the idea of limitations.
1: Oh yeah, tell me about that.
0: You know, well, for example, you know, you're only going to do work in blue. Yeah. Or you know, you're only going to do a work that uses you know this kind of brush or this kind of technique because it forces you to really kind of squeeze the juice of that practice. Because I and I find that even with people that I coach or when I do training, sometimes we're trying to feel some insecurity or some discomfort by adding to it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And it doesn't really make it go away. It just <laughs> patches it over. It just covers it. It's still there. So, you know, there is some, it's almost yin yang. It's like pleasurable, but also a little bit discomforting to stay in that, to stay in that space of, I wish I could fill this void. But if you leave it open, you may notice that it isn't such a void. There's other things available to you.
1: You're listening to Choose to be Curious, a show all about curiosity. I'm your host, Lynn Borton, and my guest today is creative coach Justine Ickes. We're talking about curiosity, slowing down. Thanks for actually making the the kind of bringing your professional work into this because I think. This is one of the things I enjoy about watching you in action: is that you have this kind of integrated practice. Like, I don't think you can likely do one without being informed by the other. That's just I don't want to. That's why I do what I do. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. And I think you wrote somewhere about you know aligning your life, work, and relationships with your true nature, and needing to be patient and give it time and. And a willingness to change with the seasons, the gardener speaking yeah. again. Yeah. For your clients, uh, either individuals, organizations, groups in retreat, whatever it is, what helps people get to a willingness to change? You know, I posit curiosity plays some role there somehow, mm. but I don't know how, and I'm interested in what you think. Okay. Well,
0: I'll say first of all, that it, it all starts with being self-aware. Yeah. like you have to know you have to be willing to ask yourself the hard questions. Now as a coach and my fellow coaches will will probably say the same, our job is to ask the questions that you may not be able to ask yourself either because they haven't occurred to you because you're in one mindset or because it's it's uncomfortable. You know, sometimes you need to hear it from you know, somebody from else, an outside perspective, someone who's noticing I notice, you know, Lynn, that when this comes up, you always seem to do X. How might it be if you did Y? So that's kind of the, the, the role of the coach is to help the person answer their own questions. But sometimes we have to offer offer those questions. But
1: even just offering the question, I mean, I would call that a curiosity practice, like mm-hmm. posing the question mm-hmm. to oneself of, I typically do X what if i did why like that's actually a pretty radical thing for most yes. of us to try to
0: do <laughs> yeah and we talk in coaching a lot about reframes yeah you know just switching your your perspective it's making me think of your analogy jar you know like okay you're calling it a problem what what else might it be if you didn't call it a problem or a dilemma or what have you yeah and in terms of what what gets people to change I, pain you know it's just you, you, there's that great i wish i knew uh where it came from but there's that great story about somebody's walking down the street and and they fall in a hole in, in the sidewalk have you ever heard that one
1: i don't know if i know this story
0: so the person's walking down the street and they fall in a hole in the sidewalk and they're you know down there in the hole and help you know get me out of here somebody comes and you know help some kind of scramble their way out. Two days later, what have you, they're walking down the sidewalk and they fall in the hole again. And again, somebody's like, okay, let me help you get out of this, (laughs) you know. Third time they're walking and they start to see the sidewalk with the hole and they turn around and go down a different street. Mm -hmm. So, you know, life is going to kind of give you indicators. You know, maybe you need to pick a different street.
1: Go take a different route. Take yeah. a different route. Yeah, interesting. That's my experience. So let's bring it full circle. When you work with your clients, how do you help them slow down? Well, we usually when you, when you start working with a client,
0: hopefully they're going to come to you with your with their goals. Mm. So you know, one of the agreements that you make as a coach with a client is my role is to help you get toward your goals. And so we create what's called an accountability contract for lack of a better word. So if I see you starting to add things in, you know, you said you wanted to, I don't know, expand the choose to be curious podcast to, you know, 100 stations and you wanted to fundraise for this, this and that. And then if I, you suddenly come to me and say, well, now I've decided, you know, I'm going to do retreats for independent radio commentators. I would say, okay, tell me more. That's great. Reminder. It it wasn't on your initial list, you know, but like, let's slow down. Let's go back to like, what, what were your core goals? What's the motivation behind this? And you may redirect and say, Hey, you know, I got inspired and I want to do this. But again, bringing the person back, I like to think sometimes about, you know, tennis. I don't know if you play tennis.
1: Uh, not in a long in, time.
0: In tennis, you know, what do you do after you run up to the net or you do a volley? What are you supposed to do usually?
1: go back to your
0: You go back to your baseline, right? right? And you're in the middle and then you're and you're you know, positioned. So for me, the idea of slowing is like, what is your baseline? That's the self-awareness. What makes you tick? What are your values? What are your triggers? How do you respond to adversity or to opportunities? And then how do you reset? For some people, it's meditation. For some people, it's coaching. For some people, it's some kind of sports activity. Some people, they have a faith practice. Like, what brings you back? You know, we live in a culture that's go, 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 right? We just do. Now, when I lived in Spain, they have this... um, I don't know if you'd call it a ritual. I should know having done anthropology, but it's called La Sobremesa. And it means over the table, sobremesa. And it's basically at the end of a meal, you kick back and you have a conversation. So I just love the fact that they even have a concept that's like, we're going to sit here and we're going to be yeah. together. Whereas in the U.S., you know, sometimes we might be literally, okay, my meeting ends at 10 and I have another one starting at 10. Right, right. So you you have to be really intentional. You have to slot in those 5, 10, 15, whatever your mental reset is.
1: Yeah. So what's your goal for your January mental reset?
0: That is so tricky. Hmm. See, I didn't even think about it because I'm in slow mode. Um, I have a friend. It's actually a mutual friend of ours who I will not name. And she reads a book by Pema Chodron every year. She chooses one of her books. So I think my reset this year, I'm actually starting a book club with a fellow coach of mine. But that doesn't start till the end of January. But I want to read kind of a like a meaty book. You know, I don't maybe Don Quixote. I don't know, something like where you really need to pay. Not not some sort of beachy read. You know, you really need to sit there and that that'll probably be my reset.
1: Nice. Way to slow down.
0: I'll keep you posted if that actually <laughs>
1: or i won't keep you posted because i won't be posting or emailing or you know after the fact i want to hear reflections after the fact yeah take the time um, take the time i love it
0: i love that you mentioned paul simon that is such a great book
1: it is i really it's a great book yeah. i i have listened many times now yeah. actually and i learn something not just about him but about aging and creativity and reinvention every time i listen
0: oh i thought of something else i just thought of something else so uh, you know we were talking about noticing and there's this guy named rob walker who has an amazing I love he has so many great just simple you know sit on the subway and just look at the people or you know look at the sign don't don't be on your phone and i said earlier about the trees so i have a book that I get out every year, and I this year I really want to use it, and it's how to identify trees. And you know, you can do it by by the leaf and the branch, and, but this is
1: trees in the winter, by their bark and by their form, and yeah.
0: If I could say to myself, okay, I you know I can identify like three trees, that would be cool. Cool. Maybe that'll be my when I'm out there in the January chill, walking.
1: I like it. All right. Well, so we'll go walking together, and you can identify trees okay. with me. Okay. We so, went
0: to warriors together.
1: It's time for our big jar want-to-be analogies. Okay. You ready for this?
0: Mm, ready as I'll ever be.
1: <laughs> okay. You know how it works. Literal big jar. I'm going to take out these slips of paper. We're going to make an analogy to curiosity with whatever is on these slips. <laughs> okay yours is giggling. How is curiosity like giggling? Mine is wall-to-wall carpeting. Oh my gosh. (laughs) And I have one for the audience. So do you want to go first or you want me to go? You go first. Okay. Oh man. (laughs) How is curiosity like wall-to-wall carpeting? Um, Well, uh, we've been talking about wooden floors, right? I think wall-to-wall carpeting is often overlooked and potentially underappreciated in certain circumstances. And I think that's true for curiosity. Um, uh, What else about wall-to-wall carpeting? Wall-to-wall carpeting gets into every corner. (laughs) And so does curiosity. (laughs) So that's what I'm going to say. That's how curiosity is like wall-to-wall carpeting. How is curiosity like giggling?
0: How is curiosity like giggling? Okay. Curiosity is like giggling because everyone's giggle sounds different. Yeah. So I think everyone's way of expressing their curiosity can be different. I also think it's like giggling because it can give you a sense of like release and joy and sort of putting yourself out there. You know, you have to sort of let go of a giggle and, and it's got some playfulness to it and child, you know, children are very curious. So that's how I would see curiosity being like giggling.
1: Nice. Nice. I like that. I like that. And audience, yours is rain. How is curiosity like rain? Let me know on social media. Hashtag analogy. Well, Justine, thank you so much for this. What a delight. And I can't wait to walk and notice tree bark with you.
0: Yes. With my little guidebook in hand. You are allowed to have learning aids on this curiosity journey.
1: You've been listening to Choose to be Curious. I'm your host, Lynn Borton. Thanks for joining us here today. You can find all of my shows on my website at choosetobecurious.com. I hope you follow me here, there, and on social media at Choose to be Curious, where you can share your rain analogy, hashtag analogy. Many thanks to my delightful guest, Justine Ickes. Links to her work and all of her tips and tricks on my website. Thanks, too, to Sean Ballot for our theme music. And this is Slow Toe by K4 via Blue Dot Sessions. Wishing you a very happy new year. I hope you'll join us again next time. Till then, choose to be curious.
0: So you asked about, you know, ways to slow down and I do creative workshops, we always start with some kind of meditation and then we work a lot with paper. Paper is so basic, but even just like making little origami figures or using different pens and pencils and like really focusing on how the line looks differently. That's another way to just kind of get yourself honed in on where you are at the moment. And of course, mandalas. I know those are all about repetitive imagery to focus the mind.